First Corinthians 13, we love. If you were stranded on an island and you had to stay there for a long, long time, you'd probably pick certain things to bring with you, certain things not to bring with you. There's more important things. You'd prioritize certain things over others. And because of that, um, you would make wise choices. And depending on how wise your choice is, you live longer or you live shorter on the island stranded alone. The same thing in the Christian walk. We can kind of pick what we choose to focus on and we can pick the qualities that we choose to exhibit and that we try to learn and work on. And the Bible is pretty clear. The one that's at the top of the list is love. Now, a lot of people, if you ask them what the most valuable Christian value is, they might would say education. And they're going to say, if you know more about God, then you can reflect him better. Some would say faith for without faith, everything's impossible. But with faith, with faith, all things are possible with God. Um, some would say hope. Some would say, you know, giving. If you're a more giving person, then you're going to be able to reach more people. Some would say uh, clarity of teaching. And like, if you can understand things and you can teach things, then maybe that's better. But at the end of the day, all of those are good things. None of them are God's pick because God's pick for us is love. And the Bible says that love is the most important of the qualities that we have. And that's kind of our key takeaway tonight. Love matters more than anything else you're doing as a Christian. So love matters more than anything else you're doing as a Christian. And as a Christian, you got to prioritize the right things. Now, we can prioritize faith, we can prioritize hope, and we can try to have good outlooks on things. But without the right priorities, we will end up doing the right things for the wrong reasons. I think we've probably all been there, and many of us have probably witnessed that too. Someone does something for us, but it's for the wrong reason, and that's not, that's not what we should be as Christians. Now, there's four takeaways that I have for you tonight. Number one, loveless actions mean nothing. Loveless actions mean nothing. If you look in verses one through three, it kind of teaches us this. It says kind of at the very end of chapter 12, the very last verse of that says, yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes on in verse one through three to teach us the principle that we're talking about. He says this, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become as sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. That just means noise in the background that nobody's paying attention to. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. It's literally worthless if you do anything without love. As a Christian, you have skills. There are certain spiritual gifts that God gives you. There's talents that you have. There's abilities that you have. But if you use those without love, what have you done? You have sacrifices. He says, if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. I could be a martyr for the gospel. I could literally give my life for Jesus. But if I don't love, it doesn't matter. So your skills and your sacrifices mean nothing. Now, have you ever done something nice for somebody else, um, but passive aggressively? <laughs> so sure, I'd be happy to do those dishes as you scrub with all the disgust in your heart. Yes, I've done that. Personal example 101. Um, it's doing the right thing with the wrong motive. Sometimes we can do the right thing and not have the right heart behind it. And as Christians, whatever we do, 
no matter where we go, all must be done with love. It's like a candle that doesn't have any fire. It's, it's useless. If you never light the wick, it's nothing more than just a paperweight. Just like spiritual actions and abilities and sacrifices are useless without love. They all work the same way. And that leads to our next point. Now that we understand that we need love primarily, that means before the other things, now that we need love the most, we have to see what love leads to. And that's number two, love acts like Jesus. Love acts like Jesus. Verse four through seven say this, love suffers long and is kind. I can see Jesus being the suffering servant. Love envies not. Love flaunts not itself and is not puffed up. Does not behave itself improperly. Seeks not its own, is not easily provoked and thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes, excuse me, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. Those are, that is a stunning picture of what Jesus did for us. He bore our sins. He, he dealt with the transgressions. He was patient when people were doubting him and not understanding what he was saying. And so as Christians, when we truly love, we will act like Jesus acted. We will have a character that because we love, not only has the right actions, but also the right motive. Now, you're going to notice that none of these were just they're not just actions to take. They're also mindsets. They're also character traits. So if I'm a patient person, that's not an action that I take. In fact, patience is a lack of action. It's not doing something when you want to be doing it. So if love is patient, if love is kind, if love rejoices in iniquity, um, I'm sorry, not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, that means that I have certain character traits that are right to have. They're the character traits that Jesus had. And so the character traits that we're looking for come from Christ's example. And it's not just actions, it's examples, it's character traits. I think when we get this backwards, we do the things that we think are right to do, but we don't do them with the same motive that Jesus would have. And if we're truly loving other people, when we, okay, here's an example. If we were to go uh, handing out flyers, Someone who is to do the task of handing out flyers, if they're all about just doing the activity, then they're going to get all the doors done. If they see somebody in the yard, they're going to hand them the flyer and they're going to tell them what it's about and that's it. And they move on. If it's someone who loves the individuals that they're handing the flyers to, then they might, if given the opportunity, if God gives peace about it, ask a follow-up question like, do you have a church that you go to? Like that's, that's going above and beyond. Both are doing the action. One is doing it with love for the person. You see, we can all do things where there are just actions, but we can also do them with the right mindset, with the right character traits behind it. And that's where love acts like Jesus. So now that we know how important love is and what character looks like, um, we can see why it's the better solution. So number one, loveless actions mean nothing. Number two, love acts like Jesus. But number three, love offers hope. Love offers hope. Verses 8 through 12. Love never fails. Now, before we continue on, just remember who Paul is talking to. 
this is a church of people who find their identity in their spiritual gifts. This is a group of people who love what God has given them to do. They do like doing ministry. They're all in on the church, but they're not in on doing church the right way. They're in on showing off. They're all trying to clamor and fight for the best gifts or what they think are the best gifts. Do you remember last week we talked about what the best gifts really are? It's not the ones that they wanted. It's not prophecy. It's not tongues. It's not those things, but that's what they wanted. And remember, Paul here is showing them a better way, a more excellent way. And he says that love never fails. Watch what he says next. But if there are prophecies, they shall fail. If there are tongues, they shall cease. And if there is knowledge, it shall vanish. The idea here is that these are three gifts that were given to the early church a baby church, a childish church, not in the sense that they're immature, but in the sense that it's not, it's not grown yet. The religion was still a new religion. Jesus had only been ascended for a few years at this point. So he says that these things that were given to the church at an early stage aren't always going to be here. They're going to vanish. They're going to disappear. They're going to go away. But love never fails. Remember, Love's always going to be here, but these things that you want, these things that you're prideful about, these things that you find your identity in, they're going to disappear. He says next, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. What this means is that God's word has been recorded partly. There's the Old Testament that you can read. By this point, some of the books of the Bible have been written, specifically this one, um, and a few other books of the Bible have been written at this point too. And so we know some things. But we also need prophecy to teach us other things in our church. That means that somebody would be able to explain the scripture, but then another person would be able to come up and teach the church through prophecy, through what the Holy Spirit was revealing to them to teach the church. And so he says that we know in part and we prophesy in part. And that's how the church was growing at that point. That's how they understood more of the Bible. Verse 10, but when that which is perfect comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. Now, which one do you trust more? The perfect, inspired word of God or someone's testimony that they seem always to have something to say and they're not the only one. There's 10 other people in the church that always have something to say. Which one's perfect? God's word. The Bible is pretty clear. This is the inspired, imperfect, and inerrant word of God. Because of that, it's not something to be thrown away. This is something that gives us all of God's revelation. So I can know what God has for me. I don't have to know in part, I can know the whole. Now someday, of course, we're gonna see Jesus. We're gonna be there in heaven and the descriptions of things like in Revelation or the other end times prophecies. We'll know exactly what they look like, but we know what we need to know now. And as far as we're concerned, we know everything that we need to know. So as a church, we don't need people to come prophesy. We don't need people to speak in tongues. We don't need the gift of knowledge, which here the idea is someone who can communicate Holy Spirit-inspired thoughts, not necessarily to the whole church, but to individuals. It's kind of paired with um, sayings of knowledge or sayings of wisdom. The two often go hand in hand. And so if, if these gifts are going to disappear, then what happens to the people who found their identity in serving Jesus through these gifts? Well, they need to find a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is love. Because no matter what gift you have, love never fails. 
No matter how many gifts or how few gifts you have, love never fails. No matter your position, love never fails. But these things do. He says, when that which was perfect comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. In verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 11, he even gives that example. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. Okay, when you're immature, when you don't have all of the knowledge of adulthood, of a more mature understanding, then you're going to do things like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The idea here is Christianity is a new religion. It's proverbially childish. It's not that it's immature, not that the gospel didn't make sense at that point and that it was untrue. It just hadn't been grown up yet. There wasn't all of God's word revealed to them. And so there was a young religion and it needed to grow. And someday that's going to happen, which now today for us has. Verse 12, he says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So right now it's like, if you were to go back in Roman times, the mirrors that they had were often a piece of metal like today, and they would shine it up, or sometimes they would even have um, pieces of like obsidian or other reflective smooth stones, and then you would shine that up, you'd chip it away, and you could look in that and use it as a mirror. If you had a high quality mirror, it would be well shined, it would be smooth, it would be beautiful, and you could clearly tell what you were looking at. If you had a cheap mirror, it would be dark, it would be foggy, it would be unclear, you wouldn't be able to tell what you're looking at. The idea here is for right now, Paul says, we are. it's like we're looking in that dark, cloudy, cheap mirror that you can barely tell what's going on. But someday, we're going to see clearly as if it's another face staring straight back at us. Now, if you were to go in your, in your bathroom in the morning and look in the mirror and everything was dark and you could barely make out your own face in it, that would be frustrating because we expect to see a face staring back at us and we expect it to be clear. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. At some point, the Bible is going to be revealed to us and you're going to have everything that you need to know as a Christian and you're going to be able to see the truth right face to face. You don't need someone to come reveal scripture to you because it's there. And he says this, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also am known. What's cool about this is that even though the sign gifts would disappear, the Bible's completion would equip them to love fully. That means that it takes us face to face with ourselves. And the Bible would say that later, as in the Bible is a mirror that we can see ourselves in and it reflects who we are back to us so that we can go out and correct it. James would say that in verses uh, 22 and 25 of chapter 1. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it describes the Bible again as a mirror. We can go look at that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, But we all, seeing the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces, as in a mirror, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this doesn't refer specifically to the Bible as a mirror. It refers to seeing God clearly, like we're looking in a mirror. The idea is with a completed word of God, we're able to see both who Jesus was when he lived here on earth from glory to glory. And we're going to be able to see him when he comes again, because we're knowing what to look for. We can already see who he was. We can already understand 
his character traits. We don't need someone to come prophesy. The problem, though, is that the Corinthian church was able to rely on just a few people who have the gifts of prophecy and of tongues and of interpretations and of knowledge. What happened to them? We don't know. But we do know that what happened to them relied on how they treated this passage. Because if they did not have faith in God in the way that God would want them to, if they didn't have love for one another, if they didn't have love for the world around them, then what they did is they lost their value. They tied up their value within the spiritual gifts that they had and not in the reason why God gave them the spiritual gifts. But maybe some of them read this and they heard it and they understood it the right way. And maybe they realized that the whole point is to love. And their spiritual gifts were not the most valuable part of who they were. Their personality or their talents were not the most valuable part of who they were. Their abilities or inabilities were not the most valuable part of who they were. Their love was. We love him because he first loved us. And not only do we love him, we love others because he first loved them. And when we see that as our priority, then now we don't have to rely on a few people because we're all the people who should know the truth. We're all the people who should teach the truth. We're all the people who are responsible with the truth. Because of that, we truly do have a better way. And to conclude this whole thing, Paul says, number four, that love takes priority. Love takes priority. If you look at verse 13, he says, So now, as in right now, whether you have the spiritual gifts, whether those spiritual gifts disappear, whatever happens here, so now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. Faith, to move mountains, he has already referred to that. Faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is looking ahead and expecting there to be something because God is good and because you believe in God. It's not how much faith you have, but it is in what the object of your faith is that makes faith powerful. There's hope, and that is the the expectation to see God do amazing things, the expectation that God hasn't been lying to you this whole time, that you are going to get to heaven, that someday those tears will be dried up and that pain that you experience and the heartache that you have, it will all disappear. That's a hope. It's, it's beautiful. And it's the place that gives us peace when we focus on it. We have faith, we have hope, and we have love. But faith and hope A crooked politician can have faith in his campaign and can paint hope for the world that he's talking to. Both things can be done without love. But what separates Christians from the rest of the world, the Bible says they will know us by our love. Not by our faith, because everybody has faith. A Muslim who hits the ignition switch on his, um, his, his C4 vest, that he has a lot of faith. Hope. People who call FEMA after a flood, they have hope. But none of those things have love. Only God is the source for true love. And as such, we as Christians must be the ones to propagate love. And he says that the greatest of these is love. So as a Christian, what is your priority? Is it to have bigger faith? Is it to have more hope? 
Is it anything else? Is your identity wrapped up in your spiritual gifts or your strengths or your abilities? Or is it truly to love? Because if you love, then you're going to have the character of Christ. Because it doesn't say that God so had faith in the world that he sent his only begotten son. It doesn't say that he had so much hope in the world and hope that his plan would work out that he sent Jesus. It says that he loved the world and that's why he sent Jesus. So if our whole mission is to be like God as little Christs, as Christians, do we love? Do you love? And are all of your actions aligned with that word love? Let's pray. God, you are good. Thank you for your word and the way that it teaches us. And I ask that tonight you would help us to evaluate ourselves, to be honest with ourselves, and to answer the question whether we are acting out of love or not. And not just a one-time thing for all of life, but action by action, motive by motive. Ask us, Help us to go through ourselves, to question ourselves, and to find out whether we are doing things in love or not. I know that you'll give us clarity. I know that you'll give us the strength that we need. And help us to have character like you do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.